kids, um, you are with us the fourth gathering, the fourth Sunday of the month, and uh, you've been in here with when we've gone through James already, but just to remind you, James was Jesus' brother here on earth, right? And he was writing this letter. Now, here's the thing about James, is he did not believe that Jesus was the son of God growing up with Jesus. Is that crazy? Okay, I mean, you probably can imagine that because if your brother, like if you have a brother, said to you, hey, I'm the son of God, you probably would think they're a little whacked out, right? Okay, and that's what James was thinking too. It's like this whole time he sees his brother, Jesus, claiming to be the Messiah, following after him. And it wasn't until Jesus was killed and then resurrected that James finally said, oh my heavens, he really is who he said he is. And I want to follow him. And James became a leader of the Christian church in Jerusalem. Isn't that cool? He actually gave his life for Jesus. And so he wrote this letter to Christians who were trying to figure out how to live in God's ways. And so we're reading the book of James because we too, as Missio, we want to figure out what does it mean to walk in God's ways, right? Do you want to know that? Because I certainly do, and that's why we're here. So we're going to dig into that, okay? Um, So we've been talking about this thing called faith, which is this deep commitment and trust and dependence on God. And so we called this series Faith in the Flesh. And I think there was a... um, a little picture of that. And what that means is like, what does faith look like lived out every single day and all the normal stuff that you do? How does that look? And so last week we saw that faith, as Will taught us in the very beginning of chapter four, that faith, when that's lived out in our everyday stuff, it produces humility in our lives. And humility means that I'm not arrogant, I'm not proud, but I'm trusting God. I'm submitting to God as he's the king and he's the Lord. And so when we believe in God and we follow him, then our lives look very humble to the world. Okay, and we saw that that humility, when we actually believe in God and we become humble people, then we start living in freedom. That's a pretty cool thing. The freedom that comes as the Spirit of God moves in us and as the Spirit of God then draws us near to God himself and we start saying, I don't want to be friends with the world. I don't want to have my life just consumed by the world. I want to live for Jesus and I draw near to Jesus and then when I start doing that, he changes me, he transforms me and I start living in freedom and that's super cool and that's what James is going to talk about. And so James, in our passage we're going to read in just a minute, says that today, that freedom as we come to faith in Jesus and brings this humility in our life also comes when we make a determination not to pretend like we're God in our life, okay? So James is gonna talk about that today. It's like, there's a lot of Christians in the church that he was writing to who wanted to be God over other people and he, they wanted to be God over themselves. And you're gonna see in a couple minutes that James is saying that these people wanted to be God over other people by the way they judged them the way they criticized them. And they also wanted to be God or king, we could say, over themselves because they wanted to run their own life. And we might look and go, wow, why would they want to do that? 
And many of us go, wow, why do I do that? And so James has a word for us. So I want to encourage you, we uh, kids, just a reminder, we stand when we read God's word. We're going to do that again. So we're going to look at verses 11 through 17. So I'm going to encourage you to stand with me. And this is James writing under the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 11, do not speak evil against one another, brothers and sisters. The one who speaks against a brother or sister or judges his brother or sister speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. (laughs) What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. This is God's word. Pray with me. Father, we ask this morning that you give us ears to hear your word. God, that it wouldn't just be words we hear, but it would just be your very life, God, spoken out through the power of the Spirit to make us more and more like Jesus. So God, set a guard over my mouth, keep watch over the door of my lips, and Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and redeemer. Christ's name, amen, amen. You may be seated. So I'm gonna do a little bit different uh, for for you this morning. We're gonna kind of play a game, okay? We're gonna play a game a little bit with the text that we're reading this morning. And so the game is, how do I become a God over others and myself? Okay, now before parents you start, you know, throwing things at me, like what kind of game are we playing? Okay, there's a reason for this, okay? Um, But I I just wanna tell you, what does it look like if I want to be a God over somebody else, or I want to play God, I should say? And I'm not talking about gods like, you know, Marvel characters and those sort of things, okay? But I, I, really, this game, the whole objective is I want to be superior over others. I want to think that I'm better than other people, and so I can tell them what to do, or I can judge, or I can criticize them. So that's the objective of this first part of the game, is that if I want to be playing God over other people, then I'm going to do two things that James kind of outlines here. Verse 11 says, the first thing that I need to do is I need to speak evil against other people, okay? And so what that really means is that I'm, I'm not just slandering them. I'm not just saying things that are false about them. I'm just being pure mean. I'm saying things that are not encouraging. That's the first thing I do if I want to be superior over other people, is I speak evil about them. Let me ask you this, kids. Have you ever had anybody say anything mean to you? Yeah? Okay, how did that make you feel? Were you, were you happy about that? No. Frustrating? 
yeah, for sure, right? Not happy, it's hurtful. Adults, have you had anybody ever say anything mean about you? And how has that made you feel? Of course, you haven't said anything mean about anybody else, right? Right, we've all been there. Okay, this is kind of how that game works a little bit. It kind of looks like this. Um, you're talking with somebody and uh, you, you're talking to this person, we'll name that person Jim, just for the sake of this uh, illustration. You're talking to Jim about this other person, and you're speaking evil about this other person to Jim. The reason you'd probably do that is you want Jim to think less of the person you're speaking about, and at the same time, you really want Jim to think really highly of you. Okay, And then sometimes what we do then is we kind of wrap it up uh, all our maliciousness or our evil intent uh, with some creative interpretation. It goes something like this. Hey, I really like so-and-so, but... Or, hey, uh, rebuke me if I'm stepping out of line, but I gotta tell you, right? Or um, I know this is probably a sin, but hey, listen, Right? I mean, you can th- you throw in your own uh, saying like that. We like to mask it up a little bit. We might like to make it sound better than it is. Like, hey, this isn't really gossip or this really isn't evil. Um, this is probably for the good of others. But the reality of it is, is most of the time it d- really doesn't work like that. That we're speaking evil more often than we might want to admit. And so what's interesting is that James says here, Do not speak evil. Don't do it. Don't speak evil. And he goes on and he says, don't speak evil against one another brothers. Now that's the ESV translation. I really do like the NIV that says brothers and sisters because that's the actual Greek word there that includes brothers and sisters, men and women. And James is saying, look, don't speak evil against people who believe in Jesus like you. Don't speak evil about people who are part of the church. That is not the way God's people are called to be. Well, if you want to play that game, you start speaking evil about other people. The other thing you do is you start judging people, right? You start to judge them. Um, and that means we kind of, we, uh, we condemn or we pronounce people guilty for what they've said and they've done. Okay, and uh, the Bible says that, yeah, it kind of says we need to withhold judgment. We shouldn't be judging. Listen to some of the things that Jesus says. In Matthew 7, 1, this is the Sermon on the Mount. You guys probably know that, where Jesus says, do not be judged or you too will be judged. You ever heard that before? The Apostle Paul writes a little bit later in Romans. He says this in Romans 2, 1. You have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you're condemning yourself. It means you're judging yourself. And so these verses we see in the Bible that God tells us in his word, don't judge other people. But... We talk often about the context, meaning what is the actual meaning going on behind these words. And what we see often, especially in these passages I just read from Jesus and Paul, is that God is saying, I don't want you to judge with a self-serving and malicious evil intent. 
Look what Jesus says a little bit later in that same passage. He goes a couple verses, and you've probably heard this one too. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye or your sister's eye and do not notice the log that is in your own eye? You ever heard that? You know, I heard that, I remember hearing that as a kid, and I thought that was kind of a crazy illustration that Jesus used, right? You got somebody like this, and then you got this huge log sticking out of your eye, and you're trying to move around. I thought it was pretty comical. Jesus is pretty cool. I mean, he's coming up with some really cool illustrations and metaphors to use, right? But it's true. It's like, how can you judge somebody else to do something wrong when you yourself are doing it? And probably even worse than many times, Right? Paul goes on again later in that same passage that I just quoted from Paul, and he says, when you, a mere human being, when you pass judgment on somebody else and you do the same things that they do, do you think that you're going to escape God's judgment? See, the Bible tells us we should withhold judgment that's self-serving and that serves to make somebody else look defeated or to hurt them in some way. But the Bible does tell us that we need to have wise and righteous discernment. Because even Jesus goes later in a book of John, and he says this, he says, do not judge just by the appearances, by the way somebody looks, but judge them correctly. Or judge them with right judgment. Here's the idea. And this is what we need to get. James is telling us that when we confront somebody, that can happen if we're wanting to build them up. But James is more concerned that we're condemning somebody because we want to tear them down. Let me ask you, have, as you think about just even your life, kids and adults, has there been anybody in your life that you've just been tearing down instead of building up? And maybe you wrap it around, you wrap it in this nice little package of, of, of excuses of why you're speaking evil about somebody or why you're judging them. It's all for their good, right? But really be honest. Really be honest and ask yourself, is it truly for the benefit and the health of this brother or sister, or is it so that I look better in the eyes of whomever I'm sharing this news with? And sometimes we're not even sharing it with somebody, we're just dealing with it in our own self, right? We're just kind of going through the motions, telling ourselves, man, this person, I can't believe what he or she did, I can't believe what they're thinking. We're all there. And James says, the people of God, don't speak evil. Don't judge in a self-serving or malicious way. James goes on in verse 11 and 12, and he says that if we speak evil against somebody and if we judge somebody, that we're actually a lawbreaker. That's what he says, that we're a lawbreaker. So the question is, well, what laws is James talking about? Is he talking about like the Old Testament, the, the Ten Commandments, that law? He might be, yeah. But I think he's talking about a different law that Jesus came and instituted. And he's talked about this earlier in the letter of, that he wrote here in James. He says, this is the perfect law 
or he called it the law of liberty. That's another word we can use for freedom. He goes on and James says it's called the royal law, which is love your neighbor as yourself. Have you heard that? Yeah, and so James is saying, you know what? When you try to pretend that you can play God over somebody and you speak evil about them and you judge them, you're breaking God's law of love. And we say here often at Missio that we are God's missional people. That means that we are sent out into the everyday stuff of life to speak and to proclaim in our words, but also to declare in the things that we do that Jesus is the king of the world. We're his missionaries. And so when we go out into the world, and if people hear us speaking evil about one another, or they see us judging other people, do you think that they want to serve the God that we say we serve? Do you think they believe our story? See, we're a missionary people called to bring the good news of Jesus to bear. And that is going, people are going to see that in the way that we speak about one another. Do we build each other up? Brothers, do you build up your sisters within your own family and within the church? Husbands, do you build up your wives or tear them down? What about your colleagues at work? We're in, the watch, in a watching world called to live out the law of love. And the thing about judging or playing others is that it really is, leads to danger. Because James is telling us in verse 12, look at that, he says, there's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Here's the thing. God is the only one that can judge rightly, perfectly, without spite, without hypocrisy. Who are you to think that you can elbow God off of his throne? I mean, really, do you think that you can do a better God job than God can? We think so sometimes. We might never say that. And what's so amazing is the way that James is writing here. It's in the Greek. That was the language they spoke. It says, but who are you to judge your neighbor? You know another way we could translate that? Who made you God? Who made you God that you could speak evil about somebody or judge somebody? It's a question where the answer is obvious, right? Nobody did. Nobody did. So if I want to play this game, this backwards game of what does it mean to, to, to play God in my life, verses 11 and 12 tells me this is what it's like to play God over other people. I speak evil about them, I judge them, and then 13, verses 13 through 16 tell us this is what it's like then if I want to play king over my life. And the objective of this game is that I want to be in authority. I want to rule. Just like I was superior over others, I think I'm better than them. I'm my own superior boss. Okay? And so that might look like you saying, well, wait a minute, I, I believe in God. I'm going to let him handle all the big stuff. I'm going to let him handle all the problems with the world. 
I'm gonna let him handle all the problems with faith, but all the everyday normal stuff of life, going to school, working a job, paying the bills, disciplining the kids, not disciplining the kids, the everyday stuff of life, I got that handled. I don't need God to take control of that. I got it really well. Look what James says, verse 13. He says, come now you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and we'll spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Anything sound really bad about that? Sounds okay, right? I mean, that's not in and of itself a really negative or bad list. I mean, look what he's saying. Plan ahead. Is that good? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, setting a schedule. Super good, especially if you're a number one on the Enneagram like I am. Setting a schedule, super happens all the time, needs to happen, everybody should do it. Uh, engaging in business. Mom and dads, do they have jobs they need to go to tomorrow? Probably. Okay, that's good. Making a living, making a profit, making money. Yeah, we need money to live, right? These are good things. This isn't bad. So James, what are you talking about? This is like everyday normal stuff of life, right? And that's James's point. That's his point. It's like Jesus takes control of every part of your life. There's a big word we use, he's sovereign, that he's Lord, he's king over it all. And we say all the time, you've probably heard us say this, kids, and adults as well, that if you are a follower of Jesus, there's not one area of your life that Jesus doesn't say it's mine. Think, Will, I think you said that last week too, right? It's a quote from Andrew Kuyper. But it's reality, it's this sense of like, man, if I'm following Jesus, there is not any area of my life where I have the freedom to say, Jesus, you can't have that. That's mine, not yours. And James is saying, no, 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 no. If you claim to follow Christ, if you claim that Jesus is your king, every part of your life, making a profit, going into a town, your very life belongs wholly, entirely to Christ. It's his. It's his. Jesus is sovereign over every part of our lives. Let me ask you, is there any area of your life right now where you're saying, Jesus, you can't have that? What does that look like for you? What do you need to do about that? If you hear the spirit kind of just rousing you up a little bit like that. Is there any area where you're saying, God, you got this, but this I'm going to hold on to. I'm not gonna give up that responsibility. I'm not going to give up that freedom. I'm not going to give you my uh, bitterness. I'm not going to give you my finances. What does it look like? Let the Spirit do His work in you. Well, verse 14, James goes on and he says, hey, you don't even know what tomorrow is going to bring. What's your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then it vanishes. 
Okay, playing God over other people or playing God in your own life is foolish for two reasons. James outlines them. Number one, we have no idea what our life is gonna look like tomorrow, let, a, let alone a year from now. James is being pretty ironic here. Like your heartbeat is beating and you have no control over that. You're taking a breath as you sit here and you don't have any control over that. You might try to hold your breath. Don't do it. I know some kids will try that, okay? Or adults probably even, okay? But you don't know what you're gonna do next year yet alone what you're gonna do this afternoon. You could have plans and that's good. But God's in control of that. So it's foolish to think that you can play God because you can't even know, you don't even know what your life is gonna be like, what the future holds. The second thing that James says is you don't have any assurance that even you will have a long life ahead of you. Says that your life is like a mist. It vanishes. Uh, This past week, uh, we got to take our family and our kids and some of their friends up north uh, to Payson. And there's this really cool um, state park national monument called Tonto National Bridge. Has anybody ever seen that? You ever been there? It's pretty cool. If you've never been there, um, go. It's super fun. Um, but you, you walk down into this little canyon and then it opens up into this like huge um, like a, this, not a cave, but this tunnel that goes through the, and it looks, it's made this, this bridge, and it's huge, and it's just cold, and there's a lot of water, there's this waterfall falling, and you can hike through it, and as we were walking through, you could feel the, the, the wetness from the, um, the, the waterfalls hitting you, but you would also look up, and you kind of just see it, there was just like this mist, which is kind of hovering there, and as soon as it hit your skin, it was gone, it evaporated. It was like you could feel it, but then it wasn't there and you wouldn't even see it on the ground. It wouldn't even stay on the ground because it disappeared so quickly. And I thought about this sermon as we were walking through it. I'm like, man, that's what life is like. It's here and it's gone. So what am I living this life for? Who am I trying to please? Me or God? Do I really think in the short amount of time that I have that I can do a better job with my life than God can? If I really believe that, why do I live often as if, hey, I got it all under control, God, I don't need you. I do a better job than you. And James is saying, no, don't buy into that game. That game is foolish. Your life is a mist. Instead, This is the way you should live. Look at verse 15. Here's James's remedy. He says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. You ever heard anybody say, Lord willing, if God wills, um, I say that often. Um, There's there's chances where probably, like many of us, to say, well, that's just become cliche, it's just, it's something that, hey, just becomes a habit. But you know what? I didn't always say that. And it's this reality that trying to keeps us oriented towards life to say, wait a minute, God is sovereign and he is in control. If the Lord wills, we will do this or that. I will humbly submit God to your leading. 
where in your life right now are you struggling to say, if the Lord wills? If the Lord wills that I leave this job, am I okay with that? If the Lord wills that we don't get the finances we need as missio, are we okay with that? What does it look like? See, part of that freedom that Will was talking about last week, we say that, that humility, this freedom, is that I can rest and say, man, it's so good to know that I don't have to be in control of that. Because God is, and I don't understand all the time, most of the time, God, what you're doing, but I trust you. I'm not going to play God. I'm going to let you be God. And speaking of cliches, I'm not a big cliche guy, right, if you know me. But there's that bumper sticker that always says, let go and let God, right? There's a lot of truth in that. You're not going to see me putting it on my car anytime soon, but no offense to those who have that, but there's truth in that, right? Man, don't play God. If the Lord wills, we will live and we will do whatever it is that he sets our hearts to do for his glory. So there's two ways. But before we do that, just real quickly, when you think about that submission to God, What's the alternative of this game? If I'm really wanting to play this game where I want to be God, the alternative and really the foolishness of this, James outlines it there in verse 16, right? He says, look, as it is, if you want to play God over others and over yourself, you're boasting in your arrogance. And all such boasting is evil. This is kind of the same language that James used earlier when he was talking about earthly wisdom, that he said it's of the earth, it's unspiritual. Do you remember what the third word he said was? It's demonic. When you play God over others or over yourself, thinking that you don't need God or you're better than other people, that's demonic. It's evil. It doesn't bring God glory and it doesn't show the world what God is like. So here's what we do, verse 17. Here's the two ways that we stop playing this foolish game. Because we want, we want God to do it all. We don't want to do it. Verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. There's two ways to stop playing God. The first thing, guys, first thing, know the right thing to do. Help me out. How do I know the right thing to do? This is dialogue time. How do I know the right thing to do? Prayer. Yeah. Search the scriptures. Yeah, prayer, scriptures. Yeah. Man, brothers and sisters in the body that God has surrounded us with, our missional community, our DNA groups, these men and women that we're striving to like know and really just commune with and get to know stories with and these people can speak the gospel. We say that we want to be a gospel-fluent people, 
the gospel's flowing out of us and we're hearing it from each other and it's shaping us? Yeah. Ask for wisdom from the Spirit, yeah. Yeah, hasn't James been talking a lot about that, this whole letter? Ask for wisdom. Believe that God, through his Spirit that dwells in you, will give you that wisdom. Yeah, I wonder often when we say, I just don't know what to do, I don't know what to do, have we done all the things you've talked about? Have we sat under God's word? Have we digged into it? I mean, I'm not talking about just reading your memory verse. I mean, getting into the word of God, the very life of God spoken to us. Is that shaping your life? Are you immersed in that? Searching the scriptures. God, this is the manual for my life. What are you telling me to do? How do I live? I want to dig into this. I need to know it. And then I pray and I plead and I ask God through your spirit, make me know what this says. Everything we've been talking about in James, God, get it not just in my head, get it in my heart. And then help me to actually live it out in my hands and everything I say and do. Yeah, trusting the spirit, the power of the living God in you. Let that sink in your head. The power of the living God, God himself, the Holy Spirit in you to empower you to walk in God's ways, to live like this. Yeah. Know the right thing to do. Get with people, your missional community, DNA, people who you can trust and who love Jesus, who can speak the good news to you as well and say, this is the right thing to know. This is what God's word says. This is what it means to live out as a, your identity in Christ as a servant missionary. Yeah, that's the first thing. Second thing, not just know it, but do it. How does that work? How does that work? Strength of the Lord. Yeah, what do you mean? How would that work? Like, we can't, we can't do what God wants us to do. Yeah. Relying on his strength. Great. Yeah, sometimes, and we talk about this, we hit this home all the time. Like, so often we say, man, if I just do more, man, if I just do more, then things are going to change, right? If I just do more, God's going to like me better. If I, if I sin less this week and do more good things, then things are right. And so we have this, and really that's the world we live in, right? The world is saying that's how you should live your life. Just do better, just do more good things than bad things and you're an okay person and things will work out for you. (laughs) No, it doesn't work like that. See, here's the good news and this is what James is telling us. And we have to assume, because James doesn't really use Jesus' name very often in this letter, right? It's like twice. But we're assuming James knows that the people he's writing to believe this, that Jesus, the Son of God, came into the world and he died the death that we should have died. He took on our sin and he took all of our shame and all of our guilt and all the bad things we've done or ever will do. He took it upon himself And he said, just like that song, it's finished. 
And then, you know what? He wasn't just in the grave the rest of his life, right? Three days after, he raises from the grave in power and in glory. And he appears to all those followers that were following after him. He says, look, I told you, I'm the king. And now he was, is raised up and he's seated, as the scripture says, at the right hand of God the Father, where guess what he's doing right now? Not only is he ruling over all things, he's praying for you. And he's saying, Father, I want every one of these kids and every man and woman who follow after you to live like this. Father, be faithful to the world or to your word. This is what I died for. Not that just that their sins would be forgiven, as amazing and incredible as that is, but so that they can live in freedom right now. So they can live without having to judge people, without having to speak evil about somebody, so they can actually do your word. I've already completed the work, so now, Father, bless them as the Spirit moves in them to live for you obediently with joy. We don't have to do this. We get to do this. That's good news. That's what James is saying. You know, Proverbs, I'm sorry, Psalm 14.1 says that the fool says in his heart that there is no God. And I wondered this week, thinking through that, if it might even be worse to say, I believe in God and I know what he's about, but I'm living my life as if I don't. Often we say we're practical or functional atheists often because we say we believe in God, we're not following God. And, and here's, here's the day, then, then, then we add maybe uh, idolatry to blasphemy and then we say, um, I'm going to set myself up as God in lieu of him. And James is saying this whole passage is when you play God over others or you play God over yourselves, it's perilous. And it's not the way my people, God is saying, are to live. Let me be real clear. If uh, you're a, a petty, gossipy, pessimistic, pessimistic person who speaks evil a lot and the way we're talking about in, 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 in their speech, uh, if this word of God has convicted you, you are responsible to change. If you don't, it's sin. It tears you down and it tears down the family. And you're responsible to change because you're a follower of Jesus. And he loves you enough to not let you just sit there and destroy yourself and destroy the body, but to change. So if that's you, and you know that everything that comes out of your mouth of late or regularly is pessimistic and negative and sarcastic and judgmental, changed by the power of God, get on your knees and ask the Spirit to change you. For some of us, maybe more common, is that we just say, God, I just don't want you to be Lord over these areas of my life. And the same call is true for us. 
It's if the Spirit of God has convicted us that there is something in our life that we're not given to Jesus, that we think that we can rule. We are called and responsible to change. If we don't, it's sin. And it destroys us and it destroys the body of Christ. And I want to leave you with this. The good news is, if we think about that last verse, is like, how do we do this? And we say this all the time, and we've been saying it all through James, is we have to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. Jesus, in John 3, 16, you've probably heard this verse, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that who would, whoever believes in him shall not perish. That means they shouldn't be eternally dead, that they're going to have eternal life. But it goes on. It says, for God did not send Jesus, his son, into the world to condemn the world. And other places, Jesus says, to judge it. I didn't come in to judge the world. I came to save the world. I came to save you. And so when we come to Jesus and we say, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord. I want you to be the king. I want you to take my life. I want you to take every part of me. And Jesus now says, you're mine. And guess what? We no longer have to speak evil about anybody. We no longer have to judge anybody. Why? Because Jesus has already saved us. Sin has already been judged. It's been defeated. And we are good news people. That means that we get to reflect the good news of Jesus in our word and deed. The only way we can live like this, the way James is talking about, is we have to keep our eyes on Christ. And remember that he alone has done the work and he alone empowers us to do this. In God's strength, let us do that. Showing the world what God is like. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And God, we so need you. We need you to transform the way we speak and we need you to transform the way we think. The thoughts that we have and the words we say and the things that we do. So often, God, we're judging people. We're trying to play God in our lives. We don't want to do that. So God, forgive us. Thank you that we have forgiveness in Christ who came to not condemn us but to save us. Thank you, Father, for giving your spirit who lives in us that gives us the energy and the strength to live in your ways. God, we need it again today. We need him again. Jesus, thank you that you are our savior. You are our Lord. You are the only judge. We're gonna let you control. We're gonna let you, God, lead our life. And would you be gracious to allow us to point other people to you, to see, Jesus, that you are true freedom. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And we love you. In Jesus' name, we pray all of this. Amen. Amen.